All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians. In this recording, we begin to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is a critical chapter for understanding Paul and how he understood his ministry and really ministry in general. And so for all of us who in some way serve the Lord, particularly those who are in vocational Christian ministry or whatever form of Christian ministry you might be in, this chapter, man, is just worth really reflecting on and thinking through. So this is a critical chapter, and we're going to begin that today. And let's just set that in context. In chapter 4, Paul continues to draw out the implications of the fact that God gave him this ministry of the Spirit that entails glory. So let's just review the flow so far. Here's where Paul is at in his thinking. Paul began earlier on in the letter by explaining why his travel plans had changed. He narrated what had occurred over the last several months, his painful visit to Corinth, his really grievous letter that he had penned and then sent it off with Titus to deliver that letter to the Corinthians and then leaving Ephesus and going to Troas, not finding Titus at Troas. And even though there was an open door for ministry, he was like, no, I need to find Troas because he really wanted to know what was going on in Corinth. And so he told how he left Troas, went to Macedonia to see if he could find Titus uh, there and get a report on the Corinthians. And then Paul suddenly broke off his narrative at that point not telling us whether he found Titus or not. And what he began to do at that point is give a description of his ministry and how it was like God was leading a triumphal procession throughout the empire, displaying his victory in and through Jesus, and how Paul was being led by him throughout the empire, displaying the fragrance of Jesus. And Paul gave that description at the end of chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, Paul noted that the very existence of the Corinthian church and the Spirit of God within them and at work among them is the, the true validation of of his ministry, that he was given the ministry of the Spirit by God, and that his ministry is therefore more glorious than the ministry of Moses under the Old Covenant. Well, what Paul begins to do here then in chapter 4 is, is that he continues to detail how that plays out in his ministry. It's like he takes that story of Moses and the veil and the glory that was shining in his face now veiled over. He takes that story and he begins to really apply it to his ministry and play off that imagery uh, about his ministry. And so even though chapter four is one big argument, we're going to take it in two parts because there's a lot here. And so part one will be chapter four, one through six. That's what we'll look at in this recording. And in this section, what Paul does is he wraps up his exposition of the story about the the veil and Moses and the glory and all that by applying that imagery to Paul's ministry. And then part two will be chapter four, verses seven through 18. We'll look at that in the next recording where Paul explains why his ministry looks so weak and so inglorious if indeed it proclaims and embodies the very glory of God in Christ, right? So four, one through six and four, seven through 18 are two big chunks out of this one tight package where Paul really gives us 
great insight into how Paul thought about his ministry. So let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where Paul applies the veil story and its imagery to his ministry. So notice chapter 4 begins with, therefore, literally it's actually a phrase, on account of this. That is, on account of what Paul has just said about how his ministry has surpassing glory to Moses' ministry, specifically how new covenant ministry is more glorious than old covenant ministry. So on account of that fact, he says, since we have this ministry, since we have this new covenant ministry, since we have this ministry that has all this glory, On account of this, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Notice, Paul recognizes that the ministry that he has is not something he he has earned, that he's good enough for. It's a gift of mercy, just as we've received mercy to have this ministry. So, on account of having this ministry by God's mercy, he says, we do not lose heart. And he'll actually come back to that phrase at the end of the chapter. That's why this whole thing really goes together, even though we're taking it in two parts. He'll come back to it in chapter 4, 16 through 18, where he talks about how he doesn't lose heart because he fixes his gaze, not on the things that are seen presently, but on the things that are unseen, because the things that are unseen are eternal. And so he's going to come back to this idea, but it's really a centerpiece of this chapter, that Paul doesn't lose heart. Having this ministry that embodies the glory of God in the face of Christ, having this ministry that exceeds the glory of the old covenant, he doesn't lose heart. And then what he does in verse 2 is he continues by offering a contrast. Rather than losing heart, what does he do? Rather than growing discouraged and giving up, how does Paul operate? Well, this is what he says in verse 2. He says, but, strong contrast, it's Allah in Greek, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in trickery, nor distorting the word of God. So, because Paul doesn't lose heart, because he doesn't grow weary, he doesn't go slack in his effort, because he doesn't give up, that means he doesn't operate a certain way. And so in the first half of verse 2, that's what he's describing. Here's how he doesn't operate since he doesn't lose heart. So what he describes in the first half of verse 2 are the tactics of preaching the gospel and the tactics for starting churches that Paul says, I refuse to use those. And he describes them as the things hidden because of shame. Literally, it's the hidden things of shame. It refers to doing things that are dishonorable or shameful, doing things in a sneaky and kind of underhanded or under-the-table sort of way. It's the kind of stuff that we in our culture, in our language, might say, man, if people really knew what went on behind closed doors. It's the hidden stuff because of shame, the dishonorable, shameful, kind of sneaky ways of operating that you do behind closed doors, but you would never really want people to find out about. Paul says, I refuse to to operate that way. I don't carry out my ministry that way. And those kinds of hidden things due to shame lead people who use them to operate, walk, he says, in trickery. That is, in craftiness, using tricks and gimmicks to get things done. And it leads people to distort the word of God, to uh, 
uh, alter and change and soften the word of God it, really for your own advantage and your own gain, in order for you to get ahead. Paul says, since he doesn't lose heart, he doesn't use those kinds of tricks and strategies and ways of getting ahead, ways of advancing himself. And rather, what does he do? How does Paul and his team operate? Well, that's the second half of verse two. So look what he says. He doesn't use the hidden things of shame, but by an open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. That is, rather than doing hidden things, he's open about things. He acts with an open proclamation of the truth, literally with the manifestation of the truth. That's Paul's way of operating, to be open and honest and truthful. Here it is. Um, and part of that is the clear, plain, honest preaching of the truth of the gospel. But for Paul, it also entails how he lives and how he acted among the Corinthians, that his way of life embodies the very death and resurrection of Jesus that he preaches. And he'll develop that in the second half of chapter four. So Paul's life and his preaching embody just the open declaration of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So for Paul, authentic ministry is one with integrity where what you see is what you get, an open proclamation of the truth. And in this way, by that, uh, by that approach to ministry, Paul and his uh, colleagues in ministry commend themselves to every person's conscience. See, notice he says, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. To understand why Paul says that specific phrase, we need to recall what he has said as he set out this explanation of ministry. He said at the end of chapter 2 uh, that he asked the question, who is adequate for these things? For we are not like the many peddling the word of God for profit, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ before the sight of God. Or in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of commendation to you or from you? You're our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all. And this idea of commending himself in an open, transparent sort of way, that's central to Paul's understanding of his ministry. And Paul's going to continue to use this word commend throughout the letter of 2 Corinthians. And it has to do with the idea of building credibility, forming trusting relationships. That's what he's getting at. Like, we commend ourselves to you by being open, transparent, simply proclaiming the truth. And so, in that way, by clearly and plainly proclaiming and embodying the message of the gospel, Paul says he and his team commend themselves to everybody's conscience. They demonstrate their credibility and their trustworthiness. And notice again, they do so in the sight of God. That is before God. Again, Paul has said this multiple times. His ministry is from God and it's carried out before the face of God, in his sight, in his presence. And so Paul's ministry is open. It's plain. It's, it's public even, like a triumphal parade. But does that mean that everybody gets it? Since his method is the plain display of the truth, does everybody see it and grasp it and get it? And the answer to that is no. Well, why is that? 
Well, that's what Paul begins to explain in verse 3. Not everybody gets it, and here's why. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So here again, Paul's uh, obviously playing off of this story of Exodus 34 with Moses and the veil that uh, began this description in chapter 3. And so just like in the case of Moses and the Israelites in Exodus 34, there was a veil there between the Israelites and the glory of God in the face of Moses. Well, so too in Paul's ministry. Um, there is a veil that keeps unbelieving people those who are perishing from seeing God's glory in the preaching and in the life and ministry of Paul and his team. Just like the Israelites back then in Exodus 34 at the foot of Mount Sinai, the unbelieving people, well, their mind is hardened. Um, and that's why they don't get it. So even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled to those who refuse to see it and thus are perishing. And so Paul explains why they don't see it in verse 4. He says, in whose case, that is in the case of those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Now, Paul both here in chapter 4 and in other places in his writings, is very clear that there's there's always a human agency involved. It's not like they have no agency in this matter. Like when he says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, he's not saying against their will, against their agency. He's saying um, that their spiritual powers at play in their, their blindness, like they refuse to see the truth, and the spiritual powers, powers in the world are at play in this blindness as well. And so it's an interplay between their willful rejection of the truth and spiritual powers using deception and all their wiles and their strategies to keep people from seeing the truth. And notice he specifically refers to the God of this world, literally the God of this age, um, that is Satan. Satan is the ruler of this present evil age. And by his various strategies and methods and craftiness and wiles, he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They believe lies and can't see the tr truth, and thus they are blind and living in the dark. And so they are victims of their own love of falsehood and love of darkness, and Satan gladly uses his wiles to keep them blind. And so the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And what's the result of this blinding? Well, look at the second half of verse 4 where he says, so that, that is with, um, with the result of that. So we're talking about the result of this blinding, with the result of that, they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The result of their rejection of the truth and embracing lies is that they can't or they will not, literally, they won't. They just won't see the truth that Paul is proclaiming and demonstrating in his ministry. And so just as the Israelites at the mount, foot of Mount Sinai in Exodus 34 were afraid of God's glory in the face of Moses, and so Moses had to put a veil over his face to cover it up, well, so too with the unbelievers in Paul's day. 
Their heart is hard. Their mind has been blinded. And the result is they won't see. They just refuse to see the glory of uh, Christ in, in Paul's life and ministry and preaching. And just Technically, literally, there is actually no words about seeing in that phrase. When it says, so that they will not see, there's no words literally about seeing the light of the the gospel of the glory of Christ. It gets at the idea, but literally this phrase simply says, with the result that the enlightenment of the gospel of the glory of Christ doesn't shine. That's literally how it reads. It's not so much that they will not see it. It's that it just doesn't shine to them. It doesn't look glorious to them. It's all darkness to them. And this was the very effect of the veil in Moses's day. It covered up the glory. And so too in Paul's day. Uh, Those who experience Paul's ministry of truth but are blind to it, well, there's just no light there for them. And they're specifically blind to the glory of Christ. And in Corinth, glory has the sense of fame, honor, status. That was such an important cultural value to the Corinthians. Self-promotion to gain honor and to gain status and to gain fame. That was a common practice in Corinth and in a lot of places in the Greco-Roman world. And Paul, in the way he writes 2 Corinthians, is subverting that cultural value for a Jesus-centered value that says, no, fame and honor and glory and promoting yourself, that's not the way. Jesus' way is different. And so in the biblical context of the Moses story, glory there in Exodus 34 refers to the Shekinah glory of God, God's very radiating glory that shone in Moses' face. And that glory is now seen, Paul believes and teaches, the gospel of the glory of Christ, the good news of the glory of Christ, that glory, the Shekinah glory of God is now seen in Messiah Jesus. He is the the glory of God. His glory is the light radiating, if you will, in the gospel that Paul preaches and in the gospel that Paul embodies. But the unbelieving, those who are perishing, well, they're blind to it. But that glory, well, that's the very message that Paul and his ministry team, that's the very message that they make plain. The gospel they preach and the gospel they live is about Jesus, the very image and glory of God. And so Paul explains in verse 5, he says, For, explaining, for we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, but Messiah Jesus is Lord. And so Paul's message is not himself. It's not about himself. He's not promoting himself, uh, bringing glory to himself. That's not his ambition. That's not his aim. That's not what his preaching is about. Paul preaches Jesus, Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And that's what the people who don't believe in verses three and four, that's what they can't see. That's what Paul preaches. They can't see Jesus and the fact that he is Lord. This is the glory that Paul's ministry makes plain. And so Paul's message is not about himself. It's about Christ Jesus Lord. And anything he wants to say about himself is this, the second half there, verse 5, where he says, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. So Paul's message about himself and his team is, we're your slaves for Jesus's sake. So we proclaim Jesus and his glory and that he is Lord, and we proclaim ourselves as like lowly slaves. 
That's how Paul conceives of himself and his role and his ministry. And then he goes on further explaining in verse 6, saying, For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness. That is, uh, referencing back to the, the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where God says, let there be light. The very God who said that is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so verse 6 begins with for, or literally because, that is, they preach Jesus as Lord and themselves as slaves because the very God who created light shone now the light of God's glory in Jesus into Paul's hearts, into his ministry team's heart. They now have seen that Jesus is the very image and glory of God. And now that's simply what they proclaim. And so what the perishing and the unbelieving don't have, right? There's no enlightenment for them. It's all darkness for them. Paul and his team do have. Uh, they have the enlightenment of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So unbelievers are like the Israelites in Moses's day for whom the glory of God had to be veiled because they couldn't stand it. Um, for unbelievers in Paul's day, the glory of God in the face of Christ, it's veiled. They can't see it. It doesn't look glorious to them. They refuse to accept it. But for Paul and for people like Timothy and Silas on his ministry team and for the other believers there in Corinth, the veil has been removed and they have received enlightenment and they now see the glory of God that shines forth in the face of Jesus. And with that, Paul brings his exposition of the veil and Moses and that whole story from Exodus 34. Now he brings that to a conclusion at this point. Um, he has applied it to his ministry, and that's why his ministry shines forth the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And for those who believe, the veil is removed, and that's what they see. And so this is the truth that is at the heart of Paul's ministry. This is what he, he says he, he proclaims plainly. This is what he manifests. This is the heart, really, of all authentic Christian ministry, uh, that in the gospel, the very glory of God radiates forth in the face of Jesus. And so as we wrap up verses 1 through 6, just this reflection, those of us who serve Jesus, all of us who believe in Jesus, want to promote Jesus, want to make Jesus known, we are merely servants. We don't advance ourselves. We don't uh, promote our own agenda or our own name. We're not out for our own glory and honor or any such thing as that. Like Paul, we preach Messiah Jesus as Lord. That and only that, that's where the glory is. Thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary on 2 Corinthians. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that is made possible by the generosity of people just like you. So if you're one of those who supports either through the Study Hub or through World Family Mission who supports this ministry, 
Thanks a ton for your support. Uh, this ministry is spreading all around the world. It's currently getting downloaded at the time of this recording in about 130 to 150 countries around the world. And that is made possible by your generosity. So thanks a ton. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can go to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button, and it'll take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount. You can click a little box that says Make This Monthly. Um, and all those donations will go through a World Family Mission, come directly to me. And uh, that will be a great way to support the ministry. All monthly donors get access to the Study Hub as well. So thanks a ton for your support.